Well, good morning, everyone, and I want to add my word of welcome to worship to you today. My name is Phil, the lead pastor here, and grateful that we can continue in our series on the Lord's Prayer today. Each week, we are going to look at each statement of the Lord's Prayer, and my, my hope is that as we do this, we would build a framework for expanding our own understanding of prayer. As Stephen mentioned earlier, Janet is leading us through a weekly time to pray through this prayer. And the purpose of this prayer is not just to memorize it, but to see it as a a guidepost for our own prayers. Jesus said, let us pray in this way or like this, which gives us some freedom to expand on this prayer. So today we're going to look in on this phrase, your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I mentioned last week that this prayer begins not by focusing on our needs, which is often where we begin prayer, uh, by going to our petitions, but it actually begins by focusing our hearts on who God is. The first three statements do not focus on us, but on you, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your kingdom come which is telling us something very significant about prayer. And I suggested this last week, that prayer is not so much for God as it is for us. This prayer is about bending our hearts, bending our wills to the the desires of God. It is something that forms and shapes us. I heard a great metaphor about prayer this week, that prayer is like getting our hearts into its proper orbit, just as the earth orbits the sun and in that way is sustained and in a, a sustainable trajectory. So our hearts are often centered around a lot of different things. And some of the things we orient our hearts to do not lead to sustenance, but can actually cause us to crash and burn. In praying this first part of the Lord's Prayer, we are seeking to get into that proper orbit to center around the Son of God, to center around God's purposes so that we might flourish and, and live life to the full. And so that's why we don't go right to petition in prayer. We begin by orienting our heart to who God is and what his purposes are. Timothy Keller tells a a really helpful story that just reminds us why we can't run right to petition. And and the reason is that sometimes the things that we seek or desire are not actually the things that we need, the things that are best for us. He has us imagine a conversation with a five-year-old boy. This might relate to those parents out there. But to imagine that your five-year-old son comes up to you and says, my truck is broken. I need you to fix it, or I need you to replace it, just with tears falling down his face. Now, in this hypothetical scenario, imagine that you have just received in the mail a notice that a great-grandfather has left this great inheritance for your children. And you say to this five-year-old, you don't need to worry about this truck. I've just found out that you're going to inherit $5 million. Now, from the five-year-old perspective, as you can imagine, that's not really going to register with them. Is it? I can just imagine in this hypothetical scene, this child saying, I don't care about that. I want you to fix my truck. My truck is broken, and the tears keep falling down, right? Now, Keller uses this as an analogy for the, the need for us to reorient our desires, 
Because like this child, some of the things that we desire and seek miss out on the bigger blessings, the bigger desires that God has for us. As children of the living God, we have a beautiful inheritance as sons and daughters of God. And yet often the things that we seek, even the things that we pray for, the requests that we put before God, may not actually capture the deeper desires and hopes that God has for us. Helmut Thielich is a German pastor, theologian, who writes this. In the last analysis, we know very little about our real needs, about what we lack and what we need. So we often pray for foolish things when what we need is something totally different. And he uses this analogy. We are imprisoned by certain passions, and instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for our jail cell. The reason why we begin this prayer by orienting our minds and hearts around who God is and what his will is, is so that our hearts might be bent towards the things of God, the bigger things, the more beautiful vision that God has for our lives. You know, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul models this type of prayer for us throughout his letters. And one of the passages I want to parallel in with our text today comes from Colossians And the book of Colossians is written to a group of people who are suffering deeply. They're facing persecution and struggling in many ways. And you would think that Paul would pray for them for very specific uh, releases from the situations that they are facing. But it's very notable that he begins the book of Colossians with this prayer. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Isn't it interesting that in the face of all these practical needs, Paul prays that they would grow in their awareness of who God is, discover God's deeper will for their lives, and live lives of fruitfulness. This call to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is an invitation for us to rediscover the bigger hope that we have despite the external circumstances that we might be facing. What I want to suggest to us, though, is that this second part of the Lord's Prayer is calling us to a reorientation, a reorientation of our desires which I think is actually needed in our lives. I think one of the the things that you may have experienced is that when we pray, Lord, your will be done, there is sometimes some resistance we face in our experience. Daryl Johnson in his commentary says, this is the line in the Lord's Prayer where we kind of do it with our heads bowed low through gritted teeth saying, yes, Lord, I suppose your will should be done. There's, there's some hesitancy for us, I think, at times to submit to this will. Perhaps a fear that this is going to require me to give up my allegiance to other kingdoms or to give up the desires that I'm living for. Dallas Willard once said that the biggest barrier to Christian discipleship is this belief that if I follow Jesus, it's going to ruin my life. And he just said it very honestly. But there's this fear that if I submit to your will, what about all these things that I care about? These other things that my heart is orbiting around, that I'm oriented towards. 
So we need to talk about how can we actually bend our will, work past this resistance to rediscover God's will for our lives. And I think there's actually two things that need to happen for us to have this reorientation. The first thing I think that needs to happen is we need to realize that some of the other things that we are orienting our life around are not all that they are saying they promise, that they're not all they live, they're not living up to the promise that they, they suggest. That we have to come to this awareness that the other kingdoms that I'm bowing to, the other things I'm living for, are not what I really need. And maybe you even come this morning in that place where some of the things that you have been living for have come up short for you. St. Augustine once said that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And maybe you can just trace that restlessness in your own experience. That some of the things that I've turned to for meaning in life are actually letting me down. There's a persistent discontent in my heart. I think that needs to be experienced before we can submit or seek out another kingdom, another will. But the other thing that I think needs to happen is we need to rediscover a vision for the beauty of God's kingdom and God's will. To discover that this is actually not out to ruin my life, to make things difficult for me, but to lead me to a life that is truly life. As Jesus says in John 10, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. It is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so today I just want to cast a vision for you, friends, about why God's kingdom is such a beautiful one and why his will is something that we ought to seek and pray for. This word will actually is a positive word in the Greek language, thelema, has this connotation of both purpose and even pleasure. It it is a good thing. Paul says in Ephesians that we ought to seek God's leading, and he talks about the desire for us to live according to the good pleasure of his will. Can we discover again that God has beautiful plans for us this beautiful inheritance that is so much more than the things that we worry about and live for. And so I want to just go through these phrases briefly and discover what the will of God is and what the kingdom of God is. Your kingdom come, Jesus says. What is this kingdom? And this is language that we're maybe not as used to in our common day and age. We don't have kings and a monarchy, and it feels maybe like an archaic metaphor. But to put it simply, the the kingdom of God is wherever God is king, wherever God is ruling and in charge. More than that, we could say wherever God's purposes are being implemented. A king has an agenda, has legislative goals, sets a culture. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are saying this is where God is ruling and implementing his desires for this world. His desires for this world. One of the things that I think is very notable in the Gospels is that when Jesus speaks about the gospel, the good news that we claim as Christians, it is almost always in connection with his teaching on the kingdom of God. The inbreaking kingdom of God is the gospel. In Mark 1, verse uh, 14, I believe, it says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. 
The good news, friends, is not simply that I am forgiven and one day when I die that will come in handy. That is good news. That is part of the gospel. But the gospel that Jesus proclaims is that his rule is breaking into this world. That his purposes are unfolding. He is creating a world that is in line with his beautiful vision that we can begin to experience. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about this kingdom, and the gospel is depicted in many ways. But we do discover that this kingdom is very different than the kingdoms of this world. It is not implemented through coercion. It is good news for those who are poor, for those who are on the margins. When the sick are healed, that is the kingdom. When the oppressed are set free, that is the kingdom. When eyes are open, that is the kingdom. When there is forgiveness and grace, that is the kingdom. When there is reconciliation between people who are at odds, that is the kingdom. Hannah mentioned one of the stories that the kids are going to look at today. But when a prostitute is enfolded in the kingdom and weeps and pours out gratitude on Jesus' feet, that's a sign of the kingdom. When Zacchaeus repents of his oppressive uh, defrauding of people and, and comes back to God and makes amends, that is the kingdom. This kingdom is a beautiful one with good news for those who are oppressed, those who are weighed down by sin, those who are overwhelmed. God is creating this beautiful new reality with good news for those in need. So we pray, Lord, may this kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we pray, your will be done. What is the will of God? Again, a a big conversation. We could look at a lot of things. I think this is related to the kingdom of God, where God's purposes are unfolded in our world and in our life. Daryl Johnson, in his commentary, does a, a brief biblical survey of what the will of God is. And there's a lot of things we could point to in Scripture. He goes all the way back to Genesis, where we are called to be good stewards of this world where we are called to be a blessing as we are blessed. In Exodus, to to be set free from oppression. And later in in the book of Exodus, the, the great commandments, the Ten Commandments, depict God's will for our lives, how we might live a functional life, a life of righteousness and justice and holiness. I read an interesting reflection by E. Stanley Jones this week, and he talks about the commandments, God's will for us, how how we ought to live our lives. And he says that the commandments that we read in Scripture are not an imposition, but an exposition. Now, what he means by this is that that God's plans for our lives, uh, these commands he calls us to, are not an imposition on us, like ruining our lives, as I said earlier, kind of imposing on what we want to do. No, the commands actually expose what true humanity looks like. It's an exposition of what it means to truly live, to live in freedom, to live in love, to live with justice, to live a life that bears great fruit in this world. This is part of the will of God for us. As we go into the New Testament, we see that the, the will of God is to be to empowered by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus sums it up, to then love God and love others. Now here's what I, I notice about the will of God that I just want to speak to. 
I think often when we pray this part of the prayer, we're thinking very specifically about external circumstances in our life. And, and, and this is part of the will of God. Who should I marry? What should I do for a job? Where should I move? What house should I buy? And we are called to seek God's leading in these very specific circumstances. But I want to suggest to us that the general will of God is very clear to us And it is something that we can experience and live wherever we find ourselves in, whatever situation we're in. You know, I'm about halfway through my life, and I've found that I'm always waiting for something. Waiting to get married, waiting for college to end, waiting for surgery, waiting for recovery, waiting to move, waiting for a new job. And if we're not careful, we're just always constantly living in this cycle of discontent, hoping that these external circumstances will fulfill this longing in my life. We're always in these in-between places. But as Paul models for us in Colossians, even in these awkward, uncomfortable places where we're waiting for external circumstances to be resolved, we can still live the will of God in any of these places. The general will of God is something that can break into these hard places where we can still be a blessing where we can still be filled by the Holy Spirit, where we can still grow in righteousness and justice, where we can still be in communion with God and loving others. It's not some good news that the will of God isn't maybe as mysterious as we sometimes think it is. The general will of God can break into our experiences now, and that's how this prayer ends. Or we ought to pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done here on earth now in this present experience as it is in heaven. The good news, friends, of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is in our midst. It is at hand. That God's will is unfolding in our daily experiences, in these hard places, in these in-between places. That is where the kingdom of God can break in. This is not just something that we await down the road in some future hope or in eternity, but on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is good news for us. It expands our understanding of the gospel. The gospel isn't something in the distance. It is something we can begin to experience now. I want to end with a quote from Dallas Willard where he says that our usual gospels, in their effects, dare we say it, are a standing invitation to omit God from the course of daily existence. It is good to know that when I die, all will be well, but is there any good news for life? And then he uses this metaphor. If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. Can I not have both? You know, I I think sometimes we declare the gospel as this like life insurance for when we die. And that is certainly part of the gospel, that there is hope beyond the grave. But the promise of this kingdom gospel is that we can actually live a life that works now, not just have an insurance on a life that is broken. We can have both parts of that equation. And what we're praying for is for God's purposes to now break into my existence now. There is good news, friends, for life. And so if you are eager to get to heaven, can I proclaim this good news, that you can begin to experience parts of that reality now. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that is why we pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done now here on earth 
as it is in heaven. I want to leave you with this word of hope today. Because the reality is that this sometimes feels out of reach for us. That our heart is actually orbiting around other things. There's that resistance we need to work through. That this world feels very distant from these values of the kingdom and we struggle to live into them. Here is the good news of this prayer. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and heaven, we are calling upon a God who is going to do that work on our behalf. Notice the grammar here, and I mentioned this last week, that we ask for God's will to be done. It is in the passive imperative, which means that we actually need help from something beyond ourselves for this to be done. This prayer is calling upon God to, to work his kingdom into our lives, to help us live into our wills. This prayer does not say, go now and try and do this by your own limited willpower. We are calling upon God's power and God's strength to do these things, work these things into our lives. And so here's the good news. If you find yourself struggling to live into this vision, this prayer is calling us to say, God, help me. Help me desire the things that you desire. Help me to live into this new reality because I cannot do it myself. And so if you ever find yourself in this place where you are struggling to pray this prayer, struggling to live into a new reality, struggling to detach yourselves from these other things that have a grip on your heart, we can come to this prayer and say, Lord, may this be done by your strength and by your power. Come, Lord, help us live into the desires you have for our world.